Thank you, Julia, for reading those verses. Uh, good morning, also. It feels right to say that. Good morning. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you, Julia, for reading those verses. Um, that's the story that we will find ourselves in in a few minutes. Uh, but before we get there, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this morning, uh, for Christmas this last week, and for the reminder uh, of your coming to the earth as a baby um, and the celebration that we we still have because of that, um, the good news that it still is. Thank you for the ways that we can celebrate um, together as church, together as family. I pray, Lord, as we look forward to this new year, uh, tomorrow, that we would, uh, through the words that I feel you have for us, that we would be encouraged and challenged um, to, to live out our faith in a, in a real way. Thank you for your example through Jesus on earth. Amen. If I could poll all of you and ask you what your favorite Christmas movie would be, I would expect that some of you would say Home Alone. I at least hope that some of you would. I'm kind of curious now. Uh, if Home Alone is your favorite Christmas movie, raise your hand. That's a fair bit. It's mine too. The first one. The second one's good also. After that, don't even bother. It's not Home Alone anymore. It should be something else. Uh, when I googled what is the most popular Christmas movie, Home Alone was consistently in the top 10 or so. Depending on the article, sometimes it was even first. It's a classic Christmas movie. Uh, the story of the McAllister family going away on, on vacation to Paris and leaving their son Kevin at home. Uh, and uh, he's home alone and all of a sudden these two robbers, these kind of dumb robbers, try to uh, break in and steal stuff from the McAllister house and it's up to eight-year-old Kevin and his, uh, his booby traps to, to stop them. Here's a, a meme I saw the other day um, that it's not going to be the main message of the sermon today, but I saw it and thought it was kind of funny. And so if you can't see it, or for those of you listening that maybe aren't watching, it says, uh, eight-year-old Kevin McAllister was left home alone for three days and still made it to church. So yes, you can make it this Sunday. Not trying to guilt you into coming to church, but just saw it and thought it was kind of funny. This morning, like Kevin, who was, uh, who was home alone, we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus alone in the temple. Well, not alone, but without his family. We've just come out of the Christmas story. Jesus is born to Mary and Joseph in a, in a barn in Bethlehem. The shepherds are told by the angels, and so they go and they see Jesus. They go around spreading the word, and then they return rejoicing and praising God for all they had seen. Then on the eighth day, as, as is customary in the Jewish, Jewish tradition, Jesus is presented in the temple. He's circumcised and given the name Jesus. A man named Simeon and a woman named Anna meet the baby Jesus in the temple. And following these events, in verse 39, Luke 2, verse 39, says, When Mary and Joseph had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. Verse 40, And, when, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. In that one verse alone, verse 40, we cover a 12-year span. The child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And voila, he's 12. I actually really like that verse. I think it does a great job helping us understand that Jesus was a human. He was a real person, a child. Yes, he was God, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. But he was a human boy. He grew and became stronger, just like any boy would. Something that's weird to think about sometimes, I think, for me at least. You know, what would Jesus have been like as a boy? We know he never sinned, but 
would he have done things to get on his parents' nerves? He still would have had dirty diapers. Uh, he wouldn't have wanted to eat certain foods, I'm guessing. You know, I don't know all the ins and outs, but Jesus was a human boy with human parents. It's interesting to think about sometimes. The important thing here is that we remember and realize that Jesus was a human. And that one verse is all we know about from Jesus from when he's a baby until he's 12, where we have this story that we're going to be looking at today. Starting in Luke 2, verse 41. Actually, this story is all we know about from Jesus from when he's born to when his ministry starts when he's 30. It's the only story in the Bible about Jesus post-baby and pre-ministry. It's also the, only play, or the first place that we hear Jesus' words, his first words recorded in the Bible. So let's begin here in Luke 2, verse 41. Uh, you can turn there, or uh, they'll be up on the screen as well. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. So there were three feasts uh, of Jewish tradition in the Jewish law required for men to go to. Families could go to, but it was required for men. There's pa Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Of all these feasts, Passover was the most important. If distance of travel was an issue, then, then men would just travel for, for the Passover. They wouldn't, wouldn't do the other ones. And if travel was even more of an issue, then, then they would go try to go once in their lifetime. So Passover was an important thing. And for Mary and Joseph, it's clear that it was important also. Every year it says they went. This year, Jesus is 12. And they went up to Jerusalem for the Passover of the feast once again. After the feast was over, which is about eight days long, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, thinking they, he was in their company. They traveled for a day. Now, this seems kind of strange to us. You know, how could you lose your son traveling home? He's the oldest. You know, if he was the youngest, maybe that could make sense. We're sometimes lucky if we even get brought along. Uh, but, you know, how could you lose him? It was quite common for people then to travel in what's called a caravan. You know, even we did this when we were growing up. We traveled in a caravan, uh, and uh, it's kind of a different caravan, actually. But we had a Dodge Grand Caravan. I couldn't find the exact one. I tried, but this is, this is what it looked like. Apparently, it's not the same type of caravan, and Jesus actually wouldn't have traveled in a Dodge anyway. It's kind of a little, this is a side. This isn't, don't take this as scripture. It's a little aside, uh, not very well-known fact, because Jesus didn't talk about it a lot. But in John 12, verse 49, we find out that Jesus drives a Honda. He said, I did not speak of my own accord. <laughs> anyway, that's not on topic and, and not biblical. But back to the caravan, the, the actual caravan. It was quite common for large groups of people to travel together, often extended families. You know, they'd all be going to the Passover, and so they would travel together. A woman would often end up in one group, men in another group, and children would be playing along as they went. And so understanding that, it makes more sense how they could misplace him or lose him. You know, he was, he was with the rest of the kids playing. Uh, all of a sudden, maybe a little like Kevin's mom in Home Alone, where she bolts up in the airplane seat and goes, Kevin! You know, maybe Mary might have done the same thing. They're walking along, and it's, uh, as it says, for about a day, and all of a sudden, Mary goes, Jesus! You know, the motherly instincts kick in. He's not here. In verse 44, they, begin looking, they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. 
know, could you imagine you're Jesus' parents and you lose him? The panic must have been intense. And we don't have kids, so I can't speak from the exact same experience, but I've lost my wallet before, and the panic that sets in, it's, it's overwhelming. You know, you flip your mattress, you find all sorts of stuff under your truck seat that you didn't know was there, but your wallet's not there, and, you, and the stress level starts to build. Or one time when I was younger, uh, we had this dog, Cujo. He, he was my favorite dog we ever had. And uh, he didn't really leave our yard that much, and all of a sudden, one day, we couldn't find him. Uh, and the next day, we couldn't find him. It was a few days, and we couldn't find him, and we were looking around, and, you know, where is this dog? Our neighbors hadn't seen him. We biked up and down the streets calling Cujo. I think we drove around town looking for him, and we couldn't find him. And then, for a different reason, my dad went to our shop for something, and there, locked inside the shop, was Cujo. But it was tough. When, you're lo- when you don't know where something you love is, it's hard. I'm sure you felt that way for something before, for a wallet, an animal, maybe your kid's favorite stuffed animal. Uh, maybe even your kid. You know, I can't imagine what was going through Mary and Joseph's minds. They lost their son in a huge city where there had been tons of people because of the Passover. We have the benefit now of knowing the outcome of the story. But in the moment, they didn't know if they would find Jesus. Kind of crazy to think about. And again, I think it helps to show the humanness involved in Jesus' life. After three days, it says in verse 46, they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking them questions. Clearly, there was discussion involved in these conversations. As it says in verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Luke shares with us that even as a boy, Jesus demonstrated the promise that would eventually blossom into full-grown wisdom and authority. As later in his life in Luke 4, people praise him for his teaching. People are amazed at the gracious words he, he speaks with. They're amazed at the authority he speaks with. And we find him teaching people scripture later on in his life. But now here as a 12-year-old boy in the temple courts, he's continuing to learn and to grow, to become stronger and wiser. It's a reminder that he's human and growing like anyone else would, but also he's unlike anyone else. These religious leaders, they're blown away by the understanding and the wisdom of this 12-year-old boy. So his parents have found him after three days, Uh, And I'm sure there would have been some mixed emotions here. You know, on the one hand, yay, we found our son. But as seen by Mary's response to finding Jesus, she's astonished. She says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been searching anxiously for you. You know, we can imagine the anguish she must have felt. Her response is probably similar to many of ours. I'm glad we found you, but Jesus, you had no consideration for us, your parents. We left and you stayed behind on purpose without telling us. And again, this is an interesting thing to me. Like, we said, like I said earlier, you know, we, we know and believe that Jesus never sinned. But what do we make of this then? It seems like disobedience to me. Even in Jesus' answer, there doesn't seem to be a sense of apology. Jesus' first words recorded in the, in the Bible are, Why were you looking for me? Not, I'm sorry. It seems strange. You know, I don't totally know what to make of it. It seems, I mean, it seems kind of obvious to me. Why were you looking for me? You're a 12-year-old son and you're lost in a big city. Of course, we're going to look for you. Maybe it's a reminder from Jesus to his parents that he's not normal. He's more than a regular child. He was longing for time with his heavenly father. He's growing up and becoming wiser. Maybe he's understanding more of his need to be with his father. Why were you looking for me? 
These are very similar words to the ones that are spoken by the angels at the empty tomb uh, after Jesus has been resurrected, where they say, why do you look for the living among the dead? One scholar I read said, in both cases, we have the sense that, uh, that Jesus constitutes a deeper reality than anyone around him can comprehend. Jesus is different. Even here, after Jesus' response, Luke adds in verse 50, they didn't understand what he was saying. You know, Jesus, is, he's on another level. He sees the bigger picture. Then in verse 51, Luke makes sure that we know the lesson isn't teaching us to be disobedient. Make sure you hear that, kids. This is not a lesson to be disobedient. Luke says uh, in verse 51, Jesus went with them and was obedient to them. It's important to take note of this. Jesus is not completely disobedient, and because of that, we now can be disobedient. Definitely not the message. You know, even though Jesus realized he was the Son of God, he did not disregard his parents' authority. Crazy to think about the God of the universe being obedient to human parents who made mistakes. I would imagine that when Mary and Joseph told Jesus it was time for bed, he went to bed. When it was time to eat, he, he did. Jesus would have been obedient to his parents. And I'm going to say that even though it seems Jesus is disobedient to his parents in this situation, what if this was still obedience by Jesus, but only this time to a higher authority? to his heavenly father? What if Jesus staying and spending time in the father's house, being about the father's business, was out of obedience to the father? I think this is a, a lesson for all of us. Jesus was saying, was God, and yet he was in subjection to his parents. We too must be in subjection to our governing authorities. Whether you're a child and it's to your parents, or you're a student and it's to your teachers, or you're an employee and it's to your boss, or all of us to the, to the government, we all are under some type of authority and must be obedient to it. However, it seems from Jesus' actions here that there may also be times in which we must be obedient to a higher authority. The call of God supersedes all earthly authority. When earthly authority calls us to do something contrary to the word of God, then we are to obey God rather than the earthly authority but only in that specific area. And I think many people take this too far and use the word of God as an excuse to get out of something they personally don't want to do. And so I believe that we must be extremely cautious in this area. But we must recognize that being with God, the Father, and following him needs to be our highest priority. Throughout this Christmas story, uh, throughout the Christmas story leading up to the birth of Jesus, and even immediately following we see several different people and angels uh, tell us of the special nature of Jesus and share with us, with us what Jesus' mission will be. In Luke 1, verse 30 to 33, the angels share with Mary that Jesus will be great and called the Son of the Most High. He will receive the throne of his father David and will reign forever, his kingdom never ending. In Luke 1, verse 46 to 56, we find Mary's song. Mary, uh, in, her so in her song, after visiting Elizabeth um, and, and the baby John leaping inside of Elizabeth's womb, uh, Mary sings, has a song and says, He has lifted up the humble and filled the hungry with good things. That's the mission that Jesus will continue in his time on earth. In Luke 1, verse 68 to 79, we have Zechariah's song. Here, Zechariah, after he's able to speak again following the birth of his son John, exclaims, God, through Jesus, has come and redeemed his people. He has raised the horn of salvation 
He says that, God, that Jesus will be like the rising sun and will shine on those in darkness. The angels appear to the shepherds in Luke 2, verse 10 to 14, and announce to them that a Savior has been born, uh, and through the Savior on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Then after seeing baby Jesus, the shepherds spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child, and all who heard were amazed. Following the birth of Jesus, on the eighth day, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple, as was the, the Jewish custom. Uh, and at the temple, there's a man, Simeon, who is a righteous and devout man. And it had been promised to him that he would, uh, wouldn't die until he saw the Christ. Now when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus in, and, uh, and Simeon, through the power of the Spirit, sees the baby, he recognizes that it is the promised Christ. He holds him in his arms and, and says, My eyes have seen your salvation, a light for, revela uh, for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. Anna, a prophetess, who, also, uh, who was also in the temple, she never left, worshipped night and day, saw Jesus at the temple, uh, and it isn't clear what she says, but she gives thanks to God and speaks about the child to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. All these people and the angels leading up to and immediately following the birth of Jesus spoke of his relation to God, his mission and his purpose, sharing what he was here to do, to reign forever, to lift the humble, to fill the hungry, to redeem, save, be a light, to bring peace and more. Now here in this story where we find ourselves, we see Jesus claim for himself what the angels and Mary and the shepherds and Zechariah and Simeon and more, what they said about him. Jesus now claims that for himself. He has a special relation to God, and he shows signs of extraordinary wisdom. And it's significant because this is the, the only time before his ministry begins where we see him reveal that it is true. He is who they said he was. As we read his response to his mother, we see that he's becoming mission-focused. He's claiming it for himself. He says, I had to be in my father's house. Some other translations say, it is necessary that I be in my father's house, or I must be about my father's business. This verse reveals the central purpose of the story, and that is to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. Remember, to them, he's their son. Probably so far, he's been a pretty normal son. Later in his life, uh, when he's teaching at one point, people say in Luke 4, verse 22, isn't this Joseph's son? He's just like the rest of them in many ways. People then didn't know him as Jesus. They knew him as Joseph's son. But here he says, didn't you know I must be in my father's house? We see Jesus say this in other places as well. I must preach the good news. The man, uh, son of man must suffer many things. I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day. When we were growing up, my dad taught us the opposite of this. He would challenge us to, to not say, I have to do this. You know, we would say, ah, oh, I have to go to school tomorrow. Or I have to wash the dishes. And he encouraged us to use the word get. So it would be, I get to go to school tomorrow. Or I get to wash the dishes. Uh, and it was, it was a great lesson, actually. Seems kind of silly, maybe, talking about it now. But it was a, a great lesson of not taking things for granted. There's many people in the world that wish they could have to go to school. Or they wish they had dishes to wash. And so it was a lesson to not take things for granted. Here, though, Jesus is much more extreme. He makes it seem as though it is a need. I must be in my father's house. Or I must be about my father's business. 
I think this really goes to show Jesus becoming mission-focused. He feels a strong call from God to be with him. He senses a stronger obligation to his, to his calling than to his family, which we see more of down the road in his future ministry. Jesus is focused on his mission, and that grows and becomes stronger through time with his father. As I was preparing, I was continually thinking of different Christmas songs that I could kind of tie into this unintentional Christmas song series that we've found ourselves in. As I was thinking about Jesus and, and his focus on mission, I came across the song, uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It's not a long song, uh, it's just two verses, and although it's typically been sung at the beginning of Advent, which we're not at anymore, the words tied in perfectly with what I was reading and thinking about in this story. Completely focused on his mission and on his relationship with his Father, as Jesus begins to reveal who he is, we begin to see the long-expected Jesus in the world. The song was first published in 1744 by Charles Wesley, uh, brother of John Wesley, which some of you might uh, be familiar with. Charles was a well-known hymn writer and is said to have written over 6,500 hymns in his lifetime. Uh, another well-known one being Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Come thou long-expected Jesus is both a preparation for the birth of Jesus, hence why it's often sung at the beginning of Advent, and it's also a longing for Christ's kingdom. Uh, the song goes, it's not very long, so I'm going to read it through. The song goes, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts above. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Many of the lines in this song point to Jesus' purpose and mission in coming to the earth. We won't go through every line here now, but I encourage you to do so if you have time. Go through the song line by line and think about how Jesus' mission is wrapped up in these different lines. Jesus recognized this mission as he grew and was filled with wisdom. And that's why he tells his mother Mary, I had to be in my father's house. Jesus couldn't stay the baby Jesus forever. If Jesus is still this perfect little baby in a manger to you, then you're missing out. That isn't the purpose of Jesus' life. It's great and amazing and awesome to celebrate at Christmas time. But that isn't who Jesus stayed. Jesus grew up. He became stronger and wiser. He needed to. It is through his perfect relationship with his, father, with his heavenly father that we see the example of how our relationship with our father should be. He needed to grow up and model that relationship for us. He needed to grow up and teach so that we could grow in our understanding. And ultimately, he needed to grow up and lay down his life for us so that we can know our Father like Jesus did, in perfect relationship. This is why Jesus is all about his Father's business, so that we can come into relationship with the Father. Continually throughout the Gospels, Jesus emphasizes that he has come so we may know the Father. John 17, verse 3, he says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The core of Jesus' message throughout all of the Gospels is relationship with God. One scholar I listen to says, Jesus talks more about his relationship with his Father 
the glory of his father and his father's plan than anything else. Sometimes people against Christianity talk about it as a list of rules of do's and don'ts. But that's not Jesus' focus. The majority of Jesus' teachings are not about do's and don'ts. It's about relationship with God the Father. The central core of Jesus' message is about pointing to God's glory. In this song, Charles Wesley uses repetition to draw the listener into the meaning. The word born appears four times. Each time this word is sung, an aspect of Jesus' mission to a troubled and weary world is, is revealed. Born to set thy people free. The next one is quite similar. Born thy people to deliver. In Matthew 1 verse 21, we read of an angel appearing to Joseph in a dream and telling him, uh, she, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. He'll set them free. He'll deliver them. Born a child and yet a king. When the angel speaks to Mary in Luke 1 verse uh, 31, the angel tells Mary, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will uh, reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Born a child and yet a king. And the last one, born to reign in us forever. When Isaiah prophesies about the coming Messiah, he says in Isaiah 7 verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself Will, uh, will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Although we're not living in the 1700s with Wesley, the world hasn't changed that much. The longing of people's hearts are just as deep. We long for security, for love, for relationships, and for meaning. Dr. Hahn, a professor of sacred music at Perkins School of Theology, says where there is no longing, there can be little meaning. Hope is central to the Christian experience. Longing for God's kingdom, longing for a perfect relationship with God, these are important things. And our longing and our, hoping, uh, our hopeful waiting leads us to the last line of the hymn. Raise us to thy glorious throne. That's what we're longing for and we're waiting for. Being together with God at his throne. As Jesus became mission uh, focused, focused on his mission, in this passage of scripture we looked at, I believe that it's crucial that we too focus our lives on mission, on our mission. Tomorrow, as already been said, is the first day of 2024. Many people around the world make New Year's resolutions. I have mixed feelings about this. I think it's good and important to stay, take stock of your life and to set goals, but I also think sometimes waiting till January 1st to do that is kind of silly. It can be done anytime. However, Tomorrow is January 1st, and so because many people do this, I'm going to encourage and challenge us to do the same. To take a spiritual, to do a spiritual check-in. Where are we at? Are we mission-focused like Jesus was? Colossians 3, verse 12 to 17 has become one of my favorite passages of Scripture ever since uh, we've, we did a series, sermon series on it a few years ago. I believe these verses contain uh, a huge part of what our mission as Christians is on this earth. And as we head into the new year, uh, we can read these verses and make them our resolution. And I want to encourage and challenge us, myself included, to do that. Let's together make these verses our new year's resolution. Let's live out these verses. They go, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, 
kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Forgive each other. And then over all these already great things, put on love, which binds them all together. Let the peace of Christ, the, the peace that we so often talk about and think about at Christmas time, let the peace that Jesus provides rule in your hearts. And I like the little, the next line, a little throw in feels like, and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you. You'll make your body a home for the word of God. And whatever you do, this line, you know, it, it doesn't miss anything. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's our mission here on earth. As Jesus was mission focused early on in his life, we too need to be mission focused. Through the way that he taught, the way he acted, and most importantly, the way that he had and displayed a perfect relationship with God, we learn how we are to live. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That must be our mission, and we must be focused on it. Amen.